the hearing from Tyler Clark. Tyler and his wife, Tracia, serve at Table of Hope Community Church in Puyallup, Washington, which is south of Seattle. Our church uh, supports Table of Hope. We are so thankful to be partnered with them in the ministry of the gospel there uh, in Puyallup. Um, it is a, it's a dark place, uh, the Pacific Northwest, and um, a place that really never has uh, had Christian influence. And so um, if you've never been there, um, we would encourage you. We're planning to go on a mission trip this fall, um, just to put that bug in your ear up there to visit them and to help uh, with the work that they're doing in Puyallup. And so I'm going to invite Tyler. He's going to share with us from God's Word today and share a little about their work uh, in Washington. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you, Pastor Jaron. All right, I want to start with a question. I'm a, a kind of an interactive preacher, so if you uh, go along with me, I speak fast, and if you listen fast, we'll be, in good, we'll be a good match. But, but Chad preaches here, and I know Chad pretty well, so I, I think you guys probably are used to listening fast. Amen? Oh, what? Three, four or five of us are amen with Chad. Okay. Well, uh, I'm sorry, Chad. The, um, no, I'm not sorry. I'm super excited to be here. Um, it's funny because my question is, have you ever been a bad guest? Now, if you've not been a bad guest, maybe you've had the ill fortune to, to host a bad guest. Maybe, maybe you forgot to RSVP, or you don't have a gift, you've, uh, you're not contributing to the party, or you killed the vibe, or maybe you shut the party down. If you're crazy and you're thinking of a party that, that is robust and maybe, maybe secular, um, maybe you're the one that called the cops. There's all kinds of different kinds of parties. You don't have to have just kind of one. But the passage that we're going to talk about are talking about guests who should have known better. Guests that were being bad guests. And so I want you to put yourself in their shoes thinking about what a bad guest would be and how Jesus is going to engage them right where they are. My goal today is twofold. I want to invite you to participate in the mission and the vision of Table of Hope. You guys were already doing that as a church. We're super grateful, very, very thankful that, uh, that you're a part of joining in our mission and your financial support is, is vital for, for our success. Um, but I want it, it, our vision is actually not just to garner cash and raise up dollars. Our, our hope is to equip the saints to do the ministry and to do that in the Puyallup area, but also to equip those that are partnering with us and the tables that are all around the, uh, the United States that are helping us to be able to reach the people of Puyallup. So I want to invite you to participate in our mission and vision. And the second one is I want to show you kind of some of the scripture that maybe inspired some of that kind of vision and mission of what that looks like so you kind of have an idea where it comes from. I think that all good vision should be seated in the Word of God. Amen? Uh, that's right. That's where we got to start. Otherwise, we, we start walking a dangerous path, and that's a different sermon. Huge thank you for your, for your regular support. I want to thank Chad um, and Jared. They came up to Seattle in February. I don't recommend coming to Seattle in February. Because it not only, he said it's a dark place. Well, it's physically dark in February. It's gray and, and you know, overcast. And a lot of times it's raining. And it's just, you know, it doesn't rain as much as you might think it does. It does rain a lot. But uh, it's gray a lot for like nine months. So I mean, you get this gorgeous, like sunny, you know, lots of that, that kind of stuff out there. Everything's green because it's gray for nine months. And then we get, to, we get these beautiful views of the summer, and we'll show you some pictures and see, show you a little bit more of what that looks like. But um, I also want to just uh, thank Pastor Jared and, and Sarah for their, their kind hospitality. Um, it, uh, I told Tracia last night, I said, I feel like we found friends that we didn't know we had. 
And uh, I, I've heard it said that uh, Pastor Jared is maybe the, the, the pastor of coffee and, and meals and hospitality. It's that. We're thankful for it too. And we're thankful for the missions team that, uh, that, that we've connected with and, and is helping support us. Um, I want to invite you into one of our core values. Hebrews 13.2 states it quite well. It says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. We talk about this value of hosting other people. It's called radical hospitality. It was the first value that we saw at Table of Hope to help us understand that there's a biblical hospitality that's different than how we live today. And people need to experience the radical hospitality of Jesus in their life. And we do that by sharing the gospel. Radical hospitality is one of our core values. The author of Hebrews commands Christians to show hospitality, but not just any kind of hospitality. The kind that's unusual, the kind that would be for how we don't practice it today so much. The one that has time in our lives for interruption. The the kind of hospitality that might invite our enemies or people that have different views than us. Maybe people that vote different than us. Maybe people that eat different food than us. People who act, look, and think differently than we do. The biblical hospitality transcends all of our preferences. And that's what we do a lot of at at Table of Hope as we extend radical hospitality. Before we jump into the scripture, I want to share a little bit more about who I am and how I kind of came to know Jesus. Um, my, my joke is that I was like a street kid that kind of loved Jesus. Now, I never, I lived on, the, we were homeless a couple times. Mom was addicted to abusive men and to drugs, and so that meant we moved a ton. I think I went to uh, three different elementary schools at five different times. Moved more times than I can count. Uh, this next picture shows a little bit of, of, of the journey that we kind of walked through. Chaos. Mom, mom kind of was in chaos. She dropped out of high school to have me. And, uh, and I'm the oldest of four boys. So mom was always outnumbered. And, um, and at the age of eight, I kind of wanted to be normal. So I found the best way to be normal is to go to church. That's a joke. Most people don't think that. <laughs> Most people in, in the Seattle, Tacoma area don't think that to be normal, you go to church. But, uh, but, but I was like, this is something that I can do. It doesn't cost any money, and I can take my brothers. So at eight, I brought my five, four, and three-year-old brothers with me to church. Now, I don't know what that would look like today. Can you imagine an eight-year-old bringing their three siblings to church today? It's kind of crazy, but, you know, 30 years ago, it was a different time. And, you know, through bus ministry and faithful Christians and neighbors that, that went to church, I was able to go to church um, every week from 8 to 17. My family wasn't interested in participating at all. I saw my dad every other weekend, and mom didn't prevent me from going, but wasn't really interested in engage, engaging. And so that's when I met Jesus. And he provided, and I started to feel the warmth and the hospitality of the church. I met my wife in church um, and was pretty faithful and regular attender for, for a good season. And then about college, I kind of started to disengage a little bit. And it wasn't until we got married and we had our, our first daughter that she started asking some questions about what faith was. And so I was like, I can't tell her we're going to live this way and not be consistent with it. So we jumped in. We started getting more involved in church. We went to a very large church. There are some very large churches in the, in the uh, Puyallup, Tacoma area. And so this church was about 3,800 people when we went there. And it was a great place to be anonymous. My wife was a part of a church plant and a part of leadership and had done a ton of things. And, um, and it was a good time for us to just kind of come in and sneak in and sneak out. I don't know if you've been in there in your faith or if you know some friends that have been in that spot. But it was, it was a season of healing for us. I was wrestling with my online life. I was wrestling with poor choices and sin. 
And, uh, and as we got more involved in the church and started doing, um, uh, attending a group and apprenticing to be a leader and becoming a leader, the sin was still like this double life. Because of the audience, I won't be incredibly specific today, but I will say that, uh, that the double life wasn't working for me. And I, I was, um, the church started coming to me and said, hey, we really like how you lead people. I'd call the guys outside a small group and I'd say, hey, what are your real prayer requests? Because guys, I hate it, but we are not real honest when our wives are sitting there with prayer requests. That's not an amen. You guys won't give me one for that. That's okay. But, uh, but when I would call guys, sometimes they would give me a prayer request that was a little more in depth, a little bit more like, hey, I'm struggling. And the church started to notice that our relationships were blossoming and we were growing together as a group. And they started asking me to, to step into leadership. And I'm still wrestling with this double life as I'm r- walking through this. And uh, they asked me four times to step up into leadership, and I told them, no, I'm too busy, I own a business, there's too many things in my life, I can't do it. And uh, the fourth time, I, I had an answer that I thought would get them off my back. This was the, the good, I don't want to create a hole in ministry. There's nobody to lead my group, so they, you got, leave me alone. And like ministry ninjas, they came, across, they came aside me and said, hey, why don't you just take it to your group and pray about it? And I was like, fine, but I know what they're going to say. Full of myself, it was crazy. We brought it to group, and, and, and we prayed about it. Nobody said a word. It was crickets. I was like, ha! I was right. I knew they were gonna, this wasn't going to be the case. And so we pack up. We, we drive home from because we met at the church. And, um, and a couple that uh, had the character, but I didn't think had the capacity, said, we'd love to lead the group to see where God's calling you. And I'm like, oh, no! What am I going to do? I got this double life, and God's answered prayer. This is like a real thing. What do I do? And I'm like, well, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't fight this. I can't do this in my own strength. I need to surrender my sin to you. And that's where the, the, crown, the crown comes in because that's when Jesus became Lord of my life. He was my Savior before, but when he was Lord of my life, I, I didn't, wherever he led me in the present, wherever he led me in the future, I trusted him completely. My past is a different story, and you see that in the, in the, the icons there. I still owned a business, and we progressed into part-time ministry, and then we were serving, and I was like 27 years old and overseeing like 700 people in life group, and most of these people were older than my parents and grandparents, and I'm like, what am I going to tell these people about Jesus? Not much, but let's follow Jesus together. So the Lord provided a buyer, and we walked away from the business, and we had about $50,000 of business debt, and... Um, and he provided a buyer for that, and we transitioned to the full-time, into full-time ministry. Started school, and then I started realizing that the chaos in my past hadn't been completely dealt with. That, you know, my, Jesus forgave my sins and the, and the chaos that I grew up in. I hadn't really solved it, or not even solved it, but I hadn't even really addressed it, and I was kind of hurting on the inside. So I started going through some counseling, and I started working through just kind of getting closer to Jesus and giving him every little area of my emotional life, and I'm still working on that. But uh, that's where that, that cross comes into the next one after working at the big church. And then the Lord called us to Oregon, and the Lord called us back to um, Auburn and, and Washington, and then I didn't do anything. It wasn't me. Um, and then the Lord placed us in Puyallup. Now, we moved 14 times in 15 years as a family. So a ton of, ton of time, but the Lord had ordered, ordered those things, and, and we were following where he would lead. And then we bought a house in Puyallup. But the church I was working at was in Tacoma, which was about 15 miles away. And, and I said, Lord, why did you put us in Puyallup? And I didn't know what he was growing and blossoming in us, and he didn't tell us. And so in, um, we, right when the pandemic was coming down, we bought a house, and we started a new church at the same time, and we met everybody on screens. And it was a really hard thing to do. Because uh, I know COVID didn't last forever down here, but uh, we, <laughs> you know how long the airports held on to wearing masks? That's how long Washington held on to masks. 
So in Washington, we were, in, everything we did was informed by COVID. It, even how we planted was informed by that. And trying to figure out how to bring the gospel to our neighbors. And so we started seeing radical hospitality start to grow, and that's what the heart is right there, and that led us to planting Table of Hope. I'll tell you some more about that in a little bit, but I want us to jump in the scripture. Let's pray. Father, i got to thank you this morning for the opportunity to share your word. Lord, I thank you that it's alive and active and, and that, uh, that we can look to it for wisdom and, Lord, to direct our lives. I pray that the Spirit would illuminate the text for us today. And, Lord, that we'd be changed, not by my words, but by yours. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. All right. Uh, we are um, going to read uh, a parable in Luke 14, and I'm going to read it in its entirety before we unpack it. So Jesus, I'll give you just a brief context right before this. Jesus is at a dinner party. He's hanging out and they're reclining. And dinners were these really long things that they would do together and they would be in community. And, and so this is the context that Jesus sitting or reclining at a table with a bunch of Pharisees that are sitting around. So he said to um, also the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they invite you back in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one who uh, was reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said, Blessed be everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time, the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those that had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. But they were all alike and began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I have to go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I must examine them. Please have me excused. And then another said, I've just married, therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry. And he said to the servant, Go quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded is done, has been done and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none who were invited shall taste, taste my banquet. We're going to come back to that in just a second. I want to give you a little bit bigger picture of what Puyallup looks like. Puyallup um, is um, Native American. There's a Native American tribe, the Puyallup tribe. And they have an indigenous language. And this, this Puyallup means generous people. And when Ezra Meeker rolled up into Puyallup, they, that was what they had called the space. And he's like, I want a unique name to call this place that we're at. He was a postmaster general in Puyallup. After he had named it, he said, nobody can say this. I don't like it. So every time we get a call and someone tries to give us our address, it's always a, a tough one. But I wanted to help you know how to say Puyallup. And so it's kind of like pews, like those old church seats that we used to have, and, and a wallop put together. So Puyallup is how we, we typically say it. But here's a picture of downtown Puyallup. Uh, Puyallup's got about 43,000 people that live in Puyallup. And, uh, and it, it, we think it's quite fitting that Puyallup, meaning generous people, um, is, is a great space for us to be about radical hospitality because the most generous people should be Christians. Amen? 
All right, our vision at Table of Hope is to create an authentic community that equips us to be great neighbors, sharing the radical hospitality of Jesus. And it starts kind of with our logo. So if we go to the next slide, you see that, that uh, horizontal line right there? That represents your table. Now, that could be your dining room table, the t- a table at a coffee shop. That could be uh, a metaphorical table, but it's the place where you live, work, learn, or play. And where hope intersects with that table, you see that it creates a cross. We call that gospel space. We are trying to bring the gospel to where we live, work, learn, and play. And so when we, every time we look at this logo, we're thinking about how we're creating gospel space in all those different arenas. I love the meaning that's behind it, but Table of Hope, um, we saw God doing a lot of work at tables, and so it made a, a ton of sense for us to be able to call our church that and engage it. So we play a lot of, we have a lot of meals together, we play a lot together, and uh, we help people to engage. And sometimes it's not a physical table that people are using the gospel in. Sometimes it's a commute on the way to work on the train. Sometimes it's hosting a, a game of frisbee or golf or other things like that. There's lots of different ways to be able to share the gospel. We don't tell people that there's just one way to do it. We just want people to be informed to live for the gospel in all the ways that they are and bringing Jesus everywhere they go. I did a little bit of research today. I was kind of trying to understand Texas. I've heard a lot about Texas, and Texas is much larger than I anticipated. Last year, we, made, we um, were in the panhandle. Um, we had driven to Nebraska to do my brother-in-law's wedding, and, uh, and I was like, hey, maybe we can go see our friends at, at, at Grace Bible. And uh, nope. <laughs> we did 4,300 miles on that trip, and I looked and I said, that would definitely add at least a day, if not two days of travel time into that. And I think it was nine hours one way from where we had gone in Pampa. Um, the context of Pialop, and, and Pastor Jared is right and, and, and touched on this, we, we, we see that 84% of Pialop does not know Jesus. Now that's kind of like, what does that mean? How does that, what does that look like? Because there's definitely Christian communities and some large churches and some things that are in that space. It, when I did just the briefest Google search, it said that in Texas, 80, or, uh, 75% of people are Christians in Texas. And so I looked a little further and I went down to Lake Jackson and I said, what is, what is the breakdown? It says that uh, 59.4% of people know Jesus. Now, there's a big percentage of Catholics, but also a big percentage of Baptists and, and some other breakdowns in that space. What this context actually means, though, is that most people that we engage with, 8 out of 10 people that we would engage with, don't know Jesus. Like, not even in a relational way, but some people don't even know the name of Jesus. And so a lot of the work that we do at Table of Hope is trying to establish trust so that people understand what, what a Christian looks like and understands the Jesus that we represent. And that's the first step that we see is trusting a Christian. So the way we kind of word it, and we talk about it a lot this way, is great neighbors are made at Table of Hope. We equip people to be great neighbors where they live, where they work, where they learn, and where they play. Why Puyallup? Well, God placed us in Puyallup, and then a church plant kind of, born out of was born out of that space. Um, but uh, that the people of Pialop need to know Jesus. So we began in COVID. I started, I told, I mentioned to you, I started a new church as an associate, kind of an executive pastor, managing uh, life groups and young adults and um, Sunday gatherings and a lot of similar things that uh, Pastor Jared does, except for I don't play any instruments. So there's another difference, but we have a lot of similarities. Um, the, uh, and I had went through seven interviews with them. And they hired me. And three weeks after I started was the three weeks right after the COVID lockdown. And in Washington, they shut everything down. We couldn't meet at church. And for three months, there was no gathering of the church. 
And so we were trying to figure out how we could engage when it was permissible, and they gave us some permissions and how we could do things. And everybody was afraid. Um, I mean, it, it light now back on there, it looks silly, but, uh, but nobody knew what we were supposed to be doing. And we could meet with 50 people at a time. And so my pastor asked me to figure out how we could meet with 50 people. And what's the lo- least number of people that can make a service work? We found out that it's six. We need somebody that can lead worship. We need somebody who can teach. We need somebody that is going to engage with families, although we didn't have family ministry to start. We needed a safety officer, an operations officer, and we needed... Um, oh, there was one more that, that is off my mind. It's been a long time since I thought about those. Um, those six roles, I defined them out and made this like 135-page manual. It was a riveting read. You can imagine how awesome it was to talk about how the things of church were done. It included MSDS. I know some of you guys are excited for that. Um, it, it included like how to space chairs and all of the logistics that needed for that. And we launched three campuses in July and August of 2020. One in Tacoma, one in Lakewood, and one in Puyallup. And maybe I was starting to see a little bit more of a picture of how God was going to be calling us because there was this like work that was being done. And even though it was COVID, we'd pop a table up in our backyard and we'd have people down to try to build community outside because that was the safe way that we could do some things. Tracia had started a food is free table. And it was just this little table at the corner of our lot. And, uh, and we'd get food and, and stock it up there. And we met 50 or 60 neighbors from this food. And I would never write an evangelism plan that said, hey, put food at the corner of your driveway. It's, it's not, you know, you usually don't hear about that. But we met people in our neighborhood and started inviting them to our church. And I was like, God is doing something through the gathering, the breaking of bread and prayer and the apostles teaching. And man, it starts to sound like scripture. Um, so the pandemic led us to a satellite. My pastor comes to me after launching three campuses and says, hey, I think you're a church planner. I said, oh, that's great. I don't know, man. I, I, I'm just trying to finish my seminary. I'm not sure what, what God's calling us to. And uh, he comes back to me after about four months and says, hey, what's the future of your campus? I said, I don't know. We've got to pray about it. So we commit to prayer. And we, uh, we said, oh, I think we're going to continue to be a campus. We want to learn how to do family. We want to learn how you guys are doing ministry. They're a mobile church that sets up and tears down every Sunday. And it's their philosophy of ministry that they redeem secular spaces for worshiping Jesus and helping equip people to be family in those environments. So we, we were praying about it, and the Lord didn't give us clarity in the space. And so when I talked with him again, he said, um, you know, what's the future of your campus? And I said, well, I think we're, we're going to be a campus, continue to be a campus for another season. And he said, okay, well, you need to raise 50% of your salary for next year. And I was like, I don't know how to sell that. How's that going to work? How am I going to tell everybody, like, hey, give me money for the job I already do? It was kind of weird. I said, well, I think if that's the math, then maybe we're being called to plant. And he said, well, here's what I'm thinking. We'll give you 50% of your salary and an operation budget to start for the first year. And then I I was like, all right. And he said, I'll give you three months to get started, and then we'll help you get launched. And so within five months, we had started uh, praying to God for a a clear vision, and he gave us a vision of of radical hospitality. And then we started recruiting a core team. And that's the core group that was there. We, we, We wanted 50 people to get started. Which was, a, which was a tall ask in a, in a weird time. But, uh, but, God, but God brought those people together. And on our first Sunday, which was Easter of 2021, we had over 100 people that came to our first service. Which is pretty incredible considering everybody's weirded out and isolated and separated because of COVID. And it's not very friendly to the gospel. It's not like, hey, cool, let's go see what that new church is doing. It's like nobody wants to go to church on Sunday. And that's how our church plants got, got started. 
that radical hospitality was a place that we wanted to continue to be about the invitation, to be mindful of how we engage our neighbors and how we, where we work, where we live, where we learn, and where we play. And I wonder if that's kind of what some of this is under the host that's wanting to bring people to this big banquet. In verse 12 of our main passage, he said um, to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't do it for your friends or your brothers. We see, a, we see a strong theme of calling throughout this whole passage, but there's a difference between being generous and simple exchange. If, if Pastor Jared shows me excellent hospitality, then I want to show him excellent hospitality and my cool coffee spots and the, the, the places that we need to eat at home next time he comes up. But that's just an exchange. He's already repaid, he's already done me a, a, a nice thing and I want to do a nice thing back to him. And, and what I love what Jesus says here is that don't, don't invite those people that have already been generous to you. Invite those that can't repay you. In 13, it says, when you give a feast, when you have dinner next week, I want you to invite these people. I want you to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Okay, now, if we all have that task, there's probably, it's, this, this t- city's going to look a little different, you think? If we all have this task of engaging those that, that we would not normally engage, I think our community is going to start to look a little bit different. But if we give a gift, knowing that it's going to be returned, it's not generous. It's just reciprocation. The the crippled, the lame, the blind. Because you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. For you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, the, the purpose of this is our motivation for hospitality should not be to get back. It should not be like, let me give you a gift so you can give me a gift. Radical hospitality is like, no, I'm going to gift and be generous to those that can't do it. And it's a pretty cool thing to, be, uh, to participate with this. Now, you, when I read this at first glance, there's a guy that's sitting at the table with him, and he says, blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. And I'm like, that's the boisterous guy, and sometimes that's me. I'm that guy that's like, hey, blessed be the, everyone who eats the kingdom of God. But if you read it like in the Greek and you understand the context of how he's saying it, he's actually interrupting and trying to put a shutdown and, and putting like topping Jesus off and saying, you're done. I'm trumping you. And it's, it's got this like, cool, let's change the subject. I'm done. I'm hearing about this. And that's not the path that Jesus goes, but this boisterous comment that says, blessed everybody is this. Okay, cool. Let's finish. Is an interjection that prepares Jesus for the next story. But he said to him, once a, a man had a banquet, and he invited many. Now, when you have a great banquet, when you, I, I think a lot, many of you, and maybe, maybe many of you that aren't here were at a wedding on Friday night, right? A lot of you went and had a great banquet that had preparation. The invitations went out at a certain point, and, you know, all the preparations were done, and they anticipated coming in. So when there's a big banquet, there's a lot of preparation. And when the date is set... Is not the, the day of the event isn't the time to RSVP. Now, I know some of us are not great at RSVP. Sometimes I'm good, sometimes I'm not. But I do know the feeling of trying to throw a party and not knowing how much food to make. It's a hard thing to do. Oh, I always have too much food or not enough food. Try to err to the side of too much food. But there's this preparation that has been done and these people should have known about this thing. So it's not just some flimsy excuse that, that they just throw out. They're basically kind of thumbing their nose at, at the banquet host and saying, you know what? You're not worth me going. And in the culture of the time, it would have been the rudest thing they could have done. The, the, the just meanest thing they could have done would have been like, cool, hey, you're having a party? I got nothing to do. 
And when you look at these excuses, you start to see what this looks like. Hey, I bought a field. I didn't see it. I need to go see it now. I can't go to your party. Who buys property without looking at it? Even in COVID, you're looking at pictures, right? You want to see what these things look like. And so like when he says, I just bought a field and I didn't look at it, that's not his real excuse. I don't want to go to your party. Another guy goes, says, I bought five yoke of oxen and I need, I need to go examine them. I just bought a new car and I want to drive it. Usually you drive a car before you buy it, right? This excuse is backwards and upside down. And the last guy says, oh, I married a wife. I married a wife and I cannot come. I don't know who's saying no, the guy or the wife in this spot, I'm not sure. But it's another flimsy excuse. And the, the rules of hospitality were important in, in the uh, ancient Near East. And it would have been extremely rude to change one's mind at the last minute and decline a previously accepted invitation. So these people that are given these flimsy excuses had already planned on kind of going. So it's worse than them just deciding in the last minute. They RSVP'd yes, but they didn't show up. And when you start to understand the context of who's sitting around this table, it's Jesus and a bunch of Pharisees, a bunch of teachers of the law that are hoping to bring people back to God by them acting good enough. And the very person that they're trying to get everybody to connect with is sitting at the table with them, and they don't realize that because they're more stuck on their systems and checklists, and they're more stuck on their legalism. And they don't want their power disrupted. And so when Jesus comes and sits them and gives them this parable, I, I, I wonder if they start getting a little hot around the collar. Maybe start sweating a little bit. Hmm. I wonder who he's talking about there. It's definitely that guy. That guy's at that dinner. He's the worst. Flimsy excuses. So the servant came down and he reported these things to the master. And the master of the house came angry to the servant and said, Go quickly. My party's not going to go as I want it to go. But you know what? Just go and go invite all the rest. He said, you know, I want my house full. Go quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. I had this party for these people. They're not ready to receive me. Let's, let's open the invitation to everyone. The servant says, hey, I've done this. The master tells him to go back out. He says, go to the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come that my, that my house may be filled. Compel them. Tell them, hey, I've got free food you come on down. We're going to have the best food. It's going to be amazing. This banquet, you cannot miss. And this theme, I think that, that sometimes we do this within the church. We focus a lot just on the party that we throw, maybe even our Sunday service or a small group or our favorite things of church. And we miss the fact that some of our neighbors where we live, work, learn, and play need to be included in our community. That the banquets of our lives need to include those that are in our, the periphery of our sight. It's not an easy thing to do. It's in this theme and themes of banquets and breaking of bread that we do church. So we do a thing called dinner church. It looks a little bit like this. We meet at tables. We're a small gathering of about 20 right now. We meet on Sunday evenings. And we think that we worship in lots of different ways. So we worship by eating together. We worship in communion together. We worship by singing and hearing of the word and then discussing the word. So our services are 90 to 120 minutes, a little bit longer, but we eat together as a family. It's this beautiful tie from our dinner table to the communion table, which I think is the very purpose, and we're taking communion today. The very purpose of communion is to reflect and to see, am I living a gospel-centered life? Am I putting Jesus in the center of my life 
every single day so that when we come to this cup, we reflect on, am I living a life worthy of Jesus? And every single week, we take communion and ask ourselves that same question. Am I bringing the gospel to where I live, where I work, where I learn, where I play? What does that look like, and how do I continue to do that? We don't have a potluck. I'll tell you that that's, dinner church is not a potluck, but there are many contributors. We have a themed meal. So that what that looks like is sometimes we have lasagna and Italian night. Sometimes we have build-your-own taco night. We do a lot of build-your-owns because everybody has lots of allergies these days. But, uh, but there's lots of different build-your-owns. And we worship through fellowship, through eating every single week. And it's a great entry point. So whether you're having dinner at my table or at the table of hope, there's a, it's, it looks very similar and it's not a big gap. It's not sitting and not be doing things you're not used to yet. It's building relationship as we go. I'm skipping that slide, sorry. Um, so we see three main tables at Table of Hope. The first one that we see is come to the table. And this is an invitation for us to build relationship. Sometimes that table is the coffee shop table. Sometimes it's the table at our service. But a lot of times it's the, the table where we're helping people trust a Christian to understand more of Jesus. And the whole purpose of this table is to introduce Jesus. For them to meet Jesus, to be curious and ready to be enter in relationship with them. Once they make that decision and, and Jesus calls them into relationship, then we learn how to embrace our table. Learning how to do these things and sharing these things. So embracing the table is a lot of typical discipleship. Uh, and, you know, and, and starting into some evangelism thing. It's learning how to serve and learning how we practice this way. Out of that comes our, our desire to share the table. And sometimes this goes very quickly from, I learned about this and I want to help others to do that, just like we see in the New Testament. But sharing your table looks different to different people. For some, it's playing cards. And for, for others, it's playing, it, it might be golf. Or for some, it's dinner parties. And some, that it's, it's, it's football parties or other things. And I'll show you a couple more examples of what, how we do this. If we go to that next slide, sharing our table often looks like this. It can be a paint and sip. Or it can be helping with homeless. Or it can be hosting a football party. All can be gospel space if it's centered on Jesus. Go to that next slide. One of the ways that our chief ways of engaging gospel space for my wife and I has been the Pelop Junior Vikings football and cheer program. So I coach youth football. She coaches youth cheer. And we have four, uh, three of our four kids are a part of this program. I have one football player and, and uh, two cheerleaders. And this is how we're building relationships and inviting people into our table. And, we are ha and some of those events that I even showed you are having some of those families. There's 150 families, young families, that are a part of this organization. And it's one of the spaces that we're working to develop, gospel space, to introduce Jesus to, to our youth. Speaking of Team Clark, that next slide. That, oh, well, that's, uh, that's more of our team and partners that help our ministry go forward. Let's go one more. All right, here's Team Clark. My oldest is Amy Lynn. She's almost 17. Then you can see Tracia and our little Emberly, who's almost six. Josiah, my son, who's 11. And Katie Josh, who's um, almost uh, 13. And uh, we are a family on mission. So when we talk about using our tables to share the gospel, it looks different for every one of us. But my oldest and my son decided they wanted to have a tea party to invite their friends to, to create gospel space. It wasn't something I told them they needed to do. And I don't know how many sophomores in high school are throwing tea parties. But, uh, but they invited their friends and had done the work to invite them in. And it was one space that they could have a, a helpful and fruitful conversation, more gospelly inclined and building trust. Katie Jo was reading her Action Bible in class one day. We do public school. 
And some kids started asking some questions about that. And she's like, oh, I can get you a Bible. She comes home, hey, Dad, I got my friend that I brought, brought with me. Do we have a Bible for him? And I'm like, they're at the office. I didn't bring him home. <laughs> and so I had to scramble, and I found, we, we lent him one, and then we got a, we, we got a new one from the office and, and gave it to him. And she ended up giving out five Bibles to people within class just because she was interested and engaged in their space. Now, public school in Puyallup is not like public school in Texas. <laughs> This is a pretty rare phenomenon that would happen, but it was a space where she was sensitive to the Spirit's lead and engaged in the gospel space where she was. As a church plant, we're still trying to build into a self-sustaining church and figuring out what that looks like. That means we're growing and the people trying to reach and we're trying to grow in our finances. Um, And so um, you guys are a big part of this and we're very thankful. Financially, if you go to the next slide, um, we are... Oh, and one more. Sorry. Um, we are about uh, 34% internally funded from our own giving, and we're about uh, 47% externally funded. We've been able to fundraise in, in the ways to be able to help with my salary and with the outreach and the things that we have to help do ministry go forward, but we're still very much raising support, and it's support from tables all over that are helping Table of Hope do its ministry. We'll go to the next slide. So this year, we're, we're raising another $26,000, which is incredible, because I think the first year we were trying to raise one hundred and ten, and God's provision has just been incredible. I could tell you a lot about it, but I won't spend a ton of time on it right now. We're developing internal generosity. We're helping people learn how to be generous, because to be hospitable, radically hospitable, you have to prepare. You can't have 20 people come to your house when you made dinner for four. It doesn't work. I mean, I, I've not seen my food multiply like Jesus did with the loaves and the fish. But, uh, but I can tell you, it takes preparation, it takes generosity to be able to engage there. And then we're inviting partners to join us in mission, both locally, both um, nationally, and, uh, and we're asking for people to, to join in with us. I know the next slide. So how, how can you guys join in and support us in the mission? The first thing I'd ask for you guys to do is to pray for us. Pray for unity. Pray that our team would see what gospel space looks like. To be bold and courageous and following the Spirit's lead to pray that, uh, that, that we would be able to create new space with skeptics and people that are far from Jesus. And it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of prayer. And that prayer support is not, not the small, it, it is a very large part of the ministry that we do. And then praying that we can uh, line, align with the, the right financial partners as we continue to seek and become a financially viable church. I'm going to that next slide. The second thing you can do is that you can, you can give, like, like our, we were asking for prayer. There's some ways to do that. Your church does that. Thank you. Your mission dollars are supporting the work that we're doing. Thank you so much for that. And then the third thing is you can join us. And if we go to that next slide, um, you can join us by following us on Facebook and seeing some of the things that we're doing, Facebook and Instagram, and, and follow us there. You can uh, join us um, at, at, at Dinner Church on a Sunday call-up. You're welcome to come up. We'd love to have you. Or if God's stirring in your heart already that you need to help people hear the gospel in a big way, we'd, we'd, we'd enjoy it. We, we would love to start the conversation to see how God leads you. Because uh, we're looking for people that want to be able to use their tables to share the gospel. I asked a question when we started about being a bad guest. If you've ever been a bad guest. The people that are invited to this banquet the Pharisees, the religious elite, the people that should have seen Jesus, don't. And they give the, the worst excuses. Hey, I don't want to sacrifice this. I don't want to lose this. And I, you know, I just did these things and it's getting in the way of me following Jesus. God is sitting with them. Emmanuel is at the table and they can't see him. 
I, I, I do think that some at the table may have caught Jesus' meaning. And I want to remind you that the host intended to celebrate with those people that should have received him. But when they rejected him, he was like, cool, we're going to everybody. This thing's going global. It was always supposed to go global, but we're going global with this. Everyone's going to come. My banquet house will be full. God wants everyone to be worshiping and in the kingdom of God. But sometimes I think we can be like those people that have, that have, have those flimsy excuses. That we can be those carnal Christians. That we get lost and we fall asleep sometimes. Beloved, I think if this message is for us today that we need to prepare to receive radical hospitality and we need to prepare to share it. I hope you can see and feel the radical hospitality. I would love to show you the ministry that we're doing at Puyallup and introduce you to some of the people that need to know Jesus. And I hope that some of, uh, as, as we're preparing for a team in the fall, I hope that that would be um, a fruitful space for, for you to see. Thank you for supporting the church plant in the Seattle area. And I want to pray that, uh, that you would join us as we continue to use our tables to share his gospel. Let's pray. Lord, this mission's bigger than me. I'm thankful that I can bring more attention to it. But Lord, I pray that you would bring those that, uh, that you would intend to come to know you. And Lord, that we'd be able to celebrate with all of heaven those that need to hear the gospel. Lord, I pray for the, the, the people of uh, Jackson Lake, and I pray that they could use their tables to share the gospel, and that Grace Bible would be uh, a ministry outpost for the kingdom in such a way that is making incredible community impact and inviting many, many people to the, great, the greatest banquet ever. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would help us by your spirit. Let us be bold to follow it and help us as we use our tables to share your gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen.